Good, so here we are then, back in the book of James. Uh, We're looking at chapter 2 today, uh, and uh, you'll find it on page number 1213 in the Bible. Or if you want to start at Revelation and go backwards, Revelation is the last book of the Bible, you'll soon come upon James. Now to live the life, that's what this whole series is called. And uh, that's really what's kind of getting going uh, as we get into chapter 2 today. As we've already heard, and uh, you may have noticed if you've read it, James is, it's a hot message. It's fresh from this um, uh, straight-talking leader of the very first church ever. The very first church that was formed in Jerusalem, James became the leader of it. James was the brother of Jesus, uh, as uh, those who've heard previous uh, in the series will know. And his message, as we've already noticed, is strong, and it's direct, it's encouraging, and it's challenging. Because, you see, he wants these first Christians to live the life of Jesus. Because, you see, believing in him as Messiah, which they've done, the letter, as we read, is is written to scattered communities of believers who had been Jewish and uh, probably on the day of Pentecost or afterwards had come to see that Jesus was their Messiah and they wanted to live for him, they wanted to love him, but they got scattered through persecution and they're meeting little communities all over the place. And James uh, writes this letter to them. And James wants them and us to know that what happens inside our lives when we begin to to follow Jesus, we come to know him, that stuff that happens inside our lives ought to be seen or will be seen on the outside too. It's not just about the inner life, but our outward life too. Because following Jesus is not just about beliefs. It's about how these things get to change your life. These believers, as we read in chapter 1, their lives were touched by tough things, trials, temptations, difficult circumstances. But James is telling them and us that God is working in our lives all through these times, changing us on the inside, making us into changed people. So all through this uh, series, and, and particularly today, it's a question that we need to ask. How does what you believe or what I believe How does what I know or what you know of Jesus change your life? That's what James wants us to ask. And he's going to kind of work it out in all kinds of ways. Because what goes on inside us is seen on the outside. And if you just, uh, in in chapter 1, verse uh, 16 to 18, is quite a key verse for the whole book of James. So just have a look at that on that first paragraph. I'm not going to talk about it, but just, just read it. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Here it is. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. See, James is telling them and us that God has given us something, that God is unchanging in that way. He is faithful and that he's given us something really special, something that is not here one day and gone tomorrow. Verse 18 says that he's actually given us new life, a a new birth, 
Something fresh, something new, something specific has happened on the inside of our hearts and lives when we come to know Jesus. And how has that come? Verse 18, it says, through the word of truth. He said it's like we're being recreated. God started this whole new creation purpose in our lives when we begin to follow Jesus, when we come to know him for ourselves. And then he goes on to tell us, as we saw uh, last week, how we're supposed to live with that word in our lives. And we heard last week we were supposed to listen to it and we're supposed to do it. We're supposed to show the generous love that God has shown to us to care for widows and orphans, it says in that passage in chapter 1. And he's saying only good stuff should be coming out of our lives, what, out of our mouths, rather, what you say. He's reflecting his half-brother, Jesus. Remember what Jesus said? He said, it's not what goes into your mouth, like food that condemns you. He said, what comes out of your mouth, your words. Because where do the words come from, according to Jesus? Our hearts. Out of the heart, says Jesus, the mouth speaks. And James is talking about God's word coming into our hearts. And so he's saying to the believers, therefore, what comes out of your mouths should reflect what's gone into your hearts. It's connected. And this idea, as we shall see, is really crucial. It goes through the rest of the book of James. Jesus said that when we hear the word, it's like receiving good seed sown into our hearts. Parable of the sower. James is picking up on that. James is absolutely soaked in the teaching of Jesus. And remember, James is probably writing at a time when Paul was just about writing his first or second letter, letters. So James is getting Jesus' teaching, which has been passed on. As we know, James uh, didn't hear much of it, perhaps. He certainly didn't accept it. And, but, and he saw Jesus after the resurrection. And then the teaching of Jesus, which was so much part of the early disciples' community, he's kind of got it, and it's coming out in what he says. So there's the question then. How does believing Jesus affect my life? How does what I've come to believe and what I've committed to affect my life? Because there's a life to be lived. That's why this series is called Now to Live the Life. Well, James suggests uh, today ways in which the life is lived, and he gives us reasons, and they're in chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. So let's read the first four verses of chapter 2. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, sit on the floor or by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. Here's the first thing. Living the new life, living the life means no favoritism. See, James is writing to these little groups of Christians in these early days. As I said, all will have been Jews who've come to know the Messiah. 
And they're meeting just as Jews did, probably not in the actual synagogues because they were persecuted by the Jews, but their little gatherings would have been like it was in the Jewish synagogue. In fact, that word here, in your meetings, uh, that James uses, has a reference. It's kind of linked to the idea of the word in Greek for synagogue. So they're kind of, kind of meeting like they always used to do. Okay, well, that's not difficult to imagine. So he imagines their meeting. He said, now there you are, you're in your meeting, and two people you don't know come. One is really well-dressed, and one is really scruffy. One says, have a good seat, go on, you can sit there, that's great. The other one says, well, there's a place for you at the back or on the floor. It's fairly obvious, isn't it? Now the thing is, that would have been the way of their past. Because within the kind of Jewish synagogue culture, you honoured people who were influential. Do you remember that story in the Gospels when uh, a centurion had a servant who was sick and, and, and uh, came to Jesus and sent someone to him and said, can you come and heal my servant? And the synagogue leaders said, oh, you know, do, can you do that? Because he's, he's been really good to our synagogue. You know, he deserves special treatment because he's a centurion who, who's, who's helped us. He'd probably give money to, this, to the thing. That was kind of the way they worked. That was how it was in their culture. It was very much like many other cultures. Uh, not kind of, it was a who you know culture. Who you knew, what people, uh, who they were, how much they had, how they could help you. was really, you know, that was how things worked in, that, in the way they were. And James says, knowing Jesus means that that has to change. That has to stop. You're supposed to, you mustn't judge people by the way they look or, or you know, they speak or whether they've got money. Now, why not? You know, you, you may be thinking, or they may be thinking. I mean, we all think, oh, yeah, that's a terrible thing to do. But in some cultures, people say, well, why not? What's wrong with it? You know, surely it's a good idea if, if, you, if someone's you know, got a lot of money, then it's great to cultivate a friendship with them. It's just normal. And James really interestingly gives us a reason why not. It's here in verse 1. He said, you are believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. See that? Believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Glory. Now that's an f- interesting word to use. Because what were these people looking at? They were looking at the glory of the Armani suit. Or the, I know I want to say Pravda, but that's the, yeah, that's, you know, is it Prada, the design? Anyway, well, whatever, really, you know, see, I've lost that, I should have prepared it. Yeah, a really expensive outfit. <laughs> or a really smart car. He says, you're, you're, you're looking at that appearance. Or the color of a, your skin. Or what you think about a lifestyle, in inverted commas. And he says, now how did Jesus show his glory? Jesus is the most glorious one of all. Well, how did Jesus show his glory? Well, we read it in John's Gospel, the very first miracle in John chapter 2. He showed his glory by providing all that wine at a wedding when the wine ran out. Here's a question. Speculation. But why did the wine run out surely if that those parents of that bride were any good if they had any influence in the community if they had any money or enough money if they'd been smart and saved up enough for their daughter's wedding the the wine wouldn't have run out might they have been poor perhaps or limited and jesus 
rescues the village wedding. And he does this kind of thing all the time, doesn't he? Good news to the poor, says Jesus. That's what I've come to proclaim. He hangs out with people who everybody else judges. What does he tell his followers not to do? In the Sermon on the Mount, don't judge, says Jesus. See, James knows it. It's got into his heart and head. Judging is to make assumptions. We make an assumption and we act accordingly. And James tells us in in verse 4, if we show favoritism, he says, if you're like that, you're judging. And you're judging, actually you're judging by what people see and actually what's really making the decisions in your heart and mind, he says, is your evil thoughts. That's a strong word, but James has got a strong way of speaking. But what he's saying is your thoughts, your views, your ideas, your, you know, the previous time you you experienced someone who cut you up in a BMW 5 Series or whatever it is, that is kind of affecting the way you, you judge. And your thoughts are the arbiter. And James is saying, that's not right. That's not what God's like. That is not what our glorious Lord Jesus is like. Glory is different. So how are we different? Well, we don't make assumptions. We must treat everyone equally. We must leave that old way behind and live this new life. And why do we do that? Because we're loving Jesus. He's our glorious Lord. He defines what glory looks like. That's where it comes from, and that's how we keep with it. Jesus is our glorious Lord, and his kind of glory is our kind of glory. If only. But there's something to work on, isn't there? Here's that question. How does knowing Jesus affect my life? Well, let's read on, because James has got more to say. Sorry, I just need my water. Peter, could you just pass me that water over there? Thanks. I thought I'd make it, but I can't. Right. So let's read from chapter 2, verse 5. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor, Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? So here's another way to live the life. Living the life means honoring the poor. Interesting, isn't it? He starts off saying, listen. What did he say in chapter 1? What were we talking about last week? Listening. James is saying, right now, listen. Here's the word, listen to it. And James tells us something, first of all, about God. He says there that God has chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him. That's an amazing verse. See, God's heart is for the poor. It's mainly poor people who are kind of caught up in the flow of God's purposes. That's that idea of God is chosen. It's not that he selected one and not another, you know, you can be in, you're out kind of thing. It's that sense of of being part of something that is is bigger, that there's this big backstory to our, our Christian experience to do with God's purposes 
And, and the movement of those purposes right from the past in eternity and on into the future. And we, when we come to Christ, we, we almost like step on a travelator that is moving in a certain way of God's purposes. And James is saying, on the whole, it's the poor who are there on the travelator. Because maybe the rich don't think they need it. They can walk their own way. Think about it. The whole story of the Old Testament is about how God takes a bunch of Israelite slaves. Have nothing. You can't get poorer than a slave, can you? And turns them into a royal people, makes them his people. What does Romans 5 says about, about us? When we were helpless, Christ died for us. For our sakes, in 2 Corinthians, it says, Jesus Christ became poor for us. We came empty, and he received us. Jesus himself said, blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God, in Luke 6.20. Probably the, uh, he used the message of the Beatitudes on more than one occasion, and this is the, another occasion he used it. After all, if a message is worth preaching once, it's worth preaching twice or three times. Actually, I preached some of this message yesterday, so hopefully it's working today. But anyway, Jesus in Luke 6 is saying, Blessed are you poor. It's not their poor in spirit, it's the actual poor. He says, because yours is the kingdom of God. The rich aren't excluded, don't get me wrong. There are examples, quite a lot of them, of rich people who come to know Jesus. Of course, that's the case. There were in the Bible times, there are now. But on the whole, it's the poor who come. That's how God is, and that's how we should be. Now, how is that going to be seen in my life? How am I going to share that heart that God has for the poor? Because in verses 6 to 7, James says, to be on Jesus' side in this life is to be on the powerless side. You see, he's saying, look, who persecutes? Who, who does the persecution in any society? I don't think so much of poor as rich and poor, but powerful and not powerful. It's the powerful who persecute, isn't it? I mean, the, the non-powerful, well, I mean, the powerful persecute because they can, because they've got the power to do so. The, per, the persecuted are the powerless. That's where Jesus is. And, and James says, they're persecuting you. You know that yourselves. He's saying, when you stop honoring the poor, you're, you're kind of contradicting yourselves because you are poor yourselves. You're being persecuted. And the people that are persecuting you are powerful and rich often, and they're abusing the name of Jesus, the noble name of Jesus, our royal king, our glorious Lord. Because they can. So we need to get with the poor. We do this because this is in the flow of all God does and purposes to do. It's really clear here. Think of the church around the world for a moment, if you know anything about the church around the world. Who is it mainly made up of? Where is it really growing? Where can't you stop it? It's not in our rich nations, is it? But boy, is it growing in other places, in the global south. The poor and the powerless 
Alec Mateer, who, to be fair, is not the most radical of scholars, says this in his book on James, quote, to dishonor the poor is to contradict the mind of God. Whoa, it's almost as strong as James. To dishonor the poor is to contradict the mind of God. Or he goes on to say, to choose another glory as exceeding the glory of Jesus. So we live the life by honoring the poor. So here's that question. How does knowing Jesus affect your life? My life. How am I going to honor the, the poor? Because that's what God does. Now, I could suggest all kinds of ways we could do it. But I think it would be better if we all ask God, how do you want me to live this life of honoring the poor? Is it to do with what I do with my money? Is it to do with what's going on? Actually, I think most of it, in my case, is to do what's going on in my heart. Next time I approach or, or judge someone or see that homeless person on the streets or whatever it is, Lord, how am I going to live in this way, this new life? Because trust him to lead you. That way you won't get into, oh, you know, so-and-so does all this for the poor and I, I can't do anything kind of thing. Ask God to show you what he wants you to do, how you can live to honor the poor, because that's what he is for. That's what he does. How does my heart need to change? That's where it starts. Let's read on, verses 8 to 13. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. So if you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Again, rings lots of bells with Jesus' parables, actually, doesn't it there? Then he says, mercy triumphs over judgment. So how does living the life, what does it mean to live the life? It means loving our neighbor. See, Jesus talks here, doesn't he? Uh, sorry, James, rather, talks here about the royal law found in Scripture and he says, you're to, you're to keep it. Okay, that's clear enough. And that royal law in Scripture in verse 13 is um, called... Oh no, 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 no. I think I've got... The... Oh yeah, no, verse 12, sorry. In verse 12, what's it called? The law that gives freedom. See, this law, this word, the royal law of Scripture, is to set the shape of our lives. It's the kind of baseline standard, if you like. Now, if you look up the page, up, uh, turn the page to verse, hold these things if you can. We're going to do a little bit of walking through here for just a few minutes, but it's important to see how it links. So we've, we've read about the royal law of scripture. We've read about the law that gives freedom, same, referring to the same thing. Now, Look at verse uh, 1, chapter 1, verse 25. We had it last week. Whoever looks intently 
into the perfect law that gives freedom. There's that phrase again. So we're talking about the same thing here, aren't we? It's not uh, too difficult to see. We're supposed to look into that like, we, like looking into a mirror. We thought about that last week as Lou took us through that helpfully. And then look at verse 23. It says, listen to the word, but someone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. So we're talking about the same thing. When Paul says, listen to the word, he's talking about the same thing. He's talking through, oh, sorry, James, all through this passage. Okay, see where we're going here? Let's move on up the passage again. It's a bit funny reading it backwards, I know, but it, I hope it's helpful. Verse 21. So this word that we're supposed to look into and do is what? Verse 21, the end of it. Accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Same thing. We're talking about the same thing. And then back up to verse 18. He gave us birth through the word of truth. So all of this is about the same thing. It's about listening to the word. That is the word of scripture. Which is the royal law. Which is the law that gives freedom. James is talking about the same thing here, isn't he? So what does that mean to us? Well, that word that's planted in our lives, that truth about Jesus, that which is here referred to as scripture... Well, what's the key point of it all, James says, is to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the word we're to keep. (laughs) That's the word we're to do. What, just that? Well, probably no, not just that. There's lots of other things that are in Scripture and so on. But hey, that's a pretty good place to start, says James. See what he's saying? We live the word by loving our neighbor. And why do we do that? Because it's in our spiritual DNA. It's part of the life God has given us. That word that brought us to life. And that word that brought us to life is not just something like some boring old thing. Oh, how am I going to do this kind of thing? It, it's something that is living and planted in our hearts. That works out into our lives. And one of the ways it works out is as we love our neighbors. That's what James is saying. This is how the life gets lived. That's what he's saying. At least I think that's what he's saying. You might disagree with me. We can talk about it afterwards if you like. How we live the new life. Loving our neighbor. So we're to speak and act, it says, in line with the word. Verse 12. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. That law that gives freedom is how everything of our value in our lives is ultimately kind of measured or judged now as we expect mercy from god who judges what's wrong so james says we should show mercy to others we should love our neighbors we should show no partiality we should honor the poor it's how our lives are shaped it's how the life is lived Well, I wonder how you feel about that. Excited or depressed? Because actually we think, oh, I can never do that completely. How on earth am I supposed to do that? Is that it then, James? (laughs) Have you got anything more to say? 
Because I don't know how, if it's about making the grade, I don't know how we're going to make that grade. Well, verse 13 doesn't end there, does it? James, uh, scholars say, um, blurts out something right at the end. Uh, And some translations try and connect it, but actually, according to um, scholars I've read, it's right, that sits there on its own. See it? Their very last five words of verse 13. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Actually, it's a really strong word. It's the, the, the word crows. You know when we say he's crowing over something? It's a bit like, in your face, judgment. You know, it's that, that kind of idea. Mercy crows over judgment. Suddenly, you think, well, James, that's, where, where does that come from? Well, I think James is saying that, that yeah, these are high standards. And yeah, he's saying we live the life, but he wants us to know something really important. To realize that God has absorbed all that judgment into himself when Jesus died. When Jesus took it all on the cross. And now for us who know and love him, there's only mercy. Amazing, isn't it? That he should kind of end at that point. That's all the more reason, isn't it, for us to be merciful to others. To keep living in that way. So here's a question. How are you going to do this this week? So now to live the what life. It's seen in no favoritism, not judging others, being like our glorious Lord Jesus. It's seen in living a life that honors the poor because that's what God does and that's what he's done for us. It's seen in living the uh, life of loving our neighbor. Because that word that's in us, it's part of our DNA and life, to to quote Jurassic Park, first film, uh, finds a way. Life comes out. Spiritual life comes out. So let's end. I'll leave you with that question. And me too. If you think it's challenging, you haven't lived with it for the last two or three days like I have. Uh, How does believing in Jesus affect my life? Don't be condemned about it. Grab the mercy which we know through Jesus, which we demonstrate every time we have communion and Arash will be testifying to. But from that place, let's live that life and give him glory.